man, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, Hanukkah, you name it, has come early for Browns Country. Welcome to the TK and Jay Show. I am TK. And I am Jay. Jay, this is the second time we've recorded the opening, thanks to my phone and my iPad, and I apologize for that. Um, however, uh, Hugh Jackson, relieved of his duties today. Todd Haley, relieved of his duties today. Wow, what uh, we had um, a pretty venomous uh, show plan for everybody today, just with the game yesterday. But I think our entire show took a complete 180 with the news that came out this afternoon. I don't know. I, I'm still feeling a little bit disappointed in the the way things went yesterday. But uh, I think it, it kind of softens the blow when you know what we've been asking for for a really long time comes to fruition, and we also get a bonus in a in a, in a Todd Haley firing as well. Yeah, I thought yesterday's effort uh, in Pittsburgh was very uninspired. I felt like they were out-schemed, they were out-manned, they were out-coached. Um, I think when they went up 6 nothing and scored two field goals instead of two touchdowns, I knew at that point that this team had no chance to win, that they had no interest in winning for this coach. They had no interest in playing for this coach anymore. The offensive coordinator seemed to be uh, in the, going into business for himself. I don't know what kind of scheme they were trying to run yesterday, but every time Baker Mayfield dropped back to pass, I felt like that poor kid got beaten, battered, broken, thrown around the field. And thank goodness it was time for a change because I am sick and tired of this franchise and especially this current ownership group ruining what could be or what should be franchise quarterbacks. Yeah, and I'm, I could see it in the game and early, and we're talking first quarter, and this is just first quarter was enough all I needed as a sample space to tell me that this game wasn't going to be good. We're, we're talking at one point the Browns had 16 snaps inside Pittsburgh's territory, and Pittsburgh had one. And with that one snap Pittsburgh had, they had put seven on the board. So what it was telling me was Todd Haley, and I'm going to put my foil hat on and give you conspiracy theory in my head. When you say he went into business for himself, I'm saying that Todd Haley – was calling terrible plays to sandbag so that he could get Hugh fired and possibly get the interim job himself so that he could run the team the way he wanted to. Those two bickering like schoolgirls behind the scenes about whose team it was was absolutely ridiculous. And I'm glad that, you know, Dorsey and Haslam made a point to say this is not supposed to be happening. You're supposed to be on the same page, understand your role, and shut your mouth. And basically got rid of both of them. And basically, one, Hugh being terrible, he gets fired. And Haley being a jerk and being petty, he loses his job, too. Love it. Well, you know, you said you mentioned Dorsey and Haslam made the decision. I was reading today on Ian Rappaport, uh, following him most of the day, him and Adam Schefter. And as of today, after 3-36-1 and, and what you saw yesterday, Jimmy Haslam still wanted to keep Hugh Jackson in Cleveland. It took John Dorsey convincing and begging for this man to be relieved of his duties. And here's a hot take for you right now. As long as that guy and his wife are the owners of this football team, they will never go to or win a Super Bowl because he has no idea what he's doing. He's not willing to step back and let somebody do their job. And he is hot, hot garbage. And the product we've seen since he got here in the last three years is a direct reflection of his leadership. I think the uh, hiring of John Dorsey says to us, though, that we're moving in the right direction. I think if Dorsey comes in and shows that he can put a team together that Haslam doesn't have to put his fingers in the Play-Doh, I think Haslam will step back. And I think today was a first sign of that where 
Dorsey was basically saying, I need my coach in here. Hughes is not my coach. Hughes is not going to be hey, – I should, should rephrase that. Hughes is not anybody's coach. I yeah. mean, he's he's terrible. He can come coach your guys' team at the Turkey Bowl, you know, seeing as that you guys never beat us. Yeah, well, this year is going to be different. Um, <laughs> That's because you're going to be on my team. That's I, why it's going to be already, different. I already spoke to my quarterback, and I told him, you throw three picks, I'm putting my foot where the sun don't shine. And, and he's, So he's going to throw four. And he's, he started to tell me – which were, I'm okay, I'm going to have to tell you this. He started to tell me, well, some of those passes came off of people's hands. And I and I stood up and I said, whose hands? Not my hands. Yeah, they came off <laughs> our hands. I said, <laughs> we took it to the they, house. They definitely didn't come off my hands. And he kind of <laughs> understood that I was getting a little bit passionate about it. But, uh, I, I, you know, if Hugh was to come coach our team, yeah, he would lose for everybody. It wouldn't matter who he would. He could go coach Ohio State right now, and they'd never see the playoffs ever again. Right. And that's the type of guy that Hugh was. But at this juncture, John Dorsey really said, this is not my, my, my coach. I need you to let me have the reins. And I think today was a sign of that by the conversation that Dorsey and Haslam had. Haslam said, okay, I'm going to let you take over. Let's move forward. Sidebar, Haslam should never be on a podium Ever again. I, I just, the things he was saying on the podium today was just mumbo jumbo. And I was just kind of like, you know what? Let Dorsey have this team, man. Just just right. step back and, and sit in the press box. Enjoy your good food. Enjoy your good time at your fo- football games. And just let John Dorsey do this, man. Right. He's having, got this. Having John come out by himself would have spoke volumes to where this organization is going. You don't need to come out there and and say a word. You and Dan Gilbert just need to go as far away from this city as you can and watch from your private suites or your homes, wherever the case might be, and just leave this town alone. Because I'm going to get into Dan Gilbert later. He's getting on that list, and I have some reasons why. I saw some stats, but we're talking about the Browns now, and I'm not going to get too fired up. You know, Um, Hugh, uh, not Hugh, Haslam and, and Dan Gilbert are the literal living meme that floats around where Spider-Man's pointing at himself yes. in the cartoon. They are yep. the exact same guy. And people always tell me, well, we give Dan Gilbert, you know, uh, you know, a pass because he won a championship. And I always rebuttal, you had the best player in the world. Show me what you did with with everything else, man. You had the best player in the world for 11 years and won one time. And he, and he left twice. Right. And to me... As much as people want to put it solely on LeBron, I don't care what anybody says. And this is why I made such a passionate, passionate statement for LeBron. Because I don't think that guy wants to leave his home unless something more was to it. And I think Dan Gilbert is that bottom line that they're out there measuring each other's male parts. And Dan Gilbert's basically too too selfish to basically say, you know what, LeBron? You're the best player in the world. And... I feel like you could take our team to promised land. Dan Gilbert, it's too busy saying, my head's too big. I don't care who you are. You're going to listen to me. Right. And LeBron James is having none of that. And I feel that's the same way with Jimmy Haslam. He will not step away. But today was was a good sign. I will I will say that it's a good sign. But like me, I think we both agreed, stay away. I don't want to hear from Jimmy even in the offseason. Let John Dorsey run every press conference. Let him say whatever he needs to say. If you need to say anything... Run it through your your uh, your uh, human resources department, your PR department. Run it through Dorsey. Run it through Dorsey. You know, if that doesn't sound good to Buddy Boy, then do not say it. Do not release it. I don't want to hear anything you have to say 
the rest of the year. Um, and speaking of our quarterback, which I'm sick and tired of seeing quarterbacks get ruined, um, I was reading some reports that Baker Mayfield didn't exactly shed any tears when he found out Hugh Jackson was going. And seeing as that Todd Haley went into business for himself, calling, I don't understand how many times you can call a run play on first down, call a run play on second down, gain five yards, lose three yards, it's third and eight. Everybody knows you got to throw the ball downfield. And how many times did they throw the ball downfield yesterday? One. One time did he, twice. One that got picked off, and at the end of the game when it didn't matter. Those are the only two times I saw the ball go more than 15 yards downfield. And that's because Haley went into business for himself, thought he'd get his coach fired like you said, and he'd take over. Well, buddy boy, buddy boy showed you the door today, and you're gone as well. We got to have guys in here that want to make, not only like you said before, this team better, this quarterback better, and utilize everything that we have. We are a good coach away from being a 5-3 and three football team, a 6-2 and two football team. Instead, I'm 2-5-1 and one, wondering what the heck happened, why it brought back a coach that went 1-31, Finally, somebody had enough sense to say 3, 36, and 1, and being the 218th out of 219th ranked coach in the NFL history, based on 40 games coached, was finally enough to be shown the door, and let's finally get this right. I think the uh, the Lou, uh, Tyron Lou firing really set a fire under the Browns franchise. It's when you sit back and you're talking about a man who was in Tyron Lue, who was 600 winning percentage, goes 0-6, and the Cavs want nothing to do with this. They fire him immediately. That, to me, everyone in Cleveland saying, uh, hi, what about Hugh? Like, Hugh is terrible. He has nothing to fall back on, so he deserved to go. I don't know what happened uh, after the Tampa Bay game. I really don't, uh, and, and, I, and God bless the kicker from from uh, Tampa Bay for making that 56-yarder because... What a bastard. <laughs> the reason, sorry. And the reason why I say God bless him because if you think about it, we somehow pull that game out. Haslam has enough enough firepower to keep you for another week. We got to deal with this crap for another week right. for, for however long, you know. So in, in the grand scheme of things, that kick hurt. But now that I think about it, thank you for that because... Right. Basically, what it's what we got out of this was what we exactly wanted was Hugh is gone, and I'm and I'm super excited about that. You know, you know that you mentioned you know that kick going bad, um, things only getting worse uh, in Pittsburgh yesterday, and then you have the Kansas City Chiefs coming into Cleveland next week, the best team in the NFL, one of the best teams in the NFL, second because the second best team. You have the Rams, uh, who are eight uh, zero. And I don't think you can walk into that game at home with Hugh Jackson leading this team and knowing what's going to happen. I saw it yesterday. I saw exactly what was going to happen next Sunday, yesterday in Pittsburgh. Outcoached, outclassed, outschemed, outmanned, out everything. And you're going to have to play a damn near perfect game just to be within a touchdown of 10 points of this team. Hugh Jackson would have you down 21, 28 points at the half. They don't make adjustments. He doesn't do clock management well. you got an offensive coordinator who is in business for himself, running on first and second down, only to throw on third down, waiting until the fourth quarter to actually run his playbook. It was time. And I think that this weekend, I'm not saying the Browns are going to win, but I think you're going to see a much better effort from a group of guys who now probably believes they have some people in place that can actually help them win as opposed to bickering with each other week in and week out. There's two big games coming up back-to-back if we actually think about it. we got... 
Kansas City and the Falcons coming in. Mm-hmm. So those are those are two big games. I, I wish we were in a better spot because those are marquee games where we could have really measured who we were as a team. And right now, those games stand to be blowouts. I mean, those, those are two really good teams coming in. I think we have a better shot against the Falcons because they've been struggling, but they're even still putting up 400 yards of offense, and that's dangerous for for our defense who have just been just purging yards left and right. So, I mean, we got the best turnovers in the league, but we and playing the bend don't break, uh, you know, type of defense. But these are two really good offensive teams that are coming in, and they could have literally, if we'd have been playing better, those two games would have been easy sellouts. Easy sellouts. Easy sellouts, potentially flex to Sunday Night Football, one or two of those games. Um, and just another glaring, glaring stat, and uh, I got this today off Twitter. Um, your one loss record when winning the turnover margin by at least two turnovers, which the Browns have done that a few times this season since 2016. The NFL is 2:30 and 25. The Browns are one, two, and one. They still can't seem to score off turnovers, and that is a glaring, glaring weakness of a head coach who can't seem to motivate his, his players. The defense has done enough to win games this year. And it's the offense who has let them down. And it's because those two guys couldn't get on the same page. And to me as a fan and as someone who watches football and maybe one day we'll get paid to give his opinion, it infuriates me to see that. Um, because if your defense is getting you turnovers and you can't score points, your team, you can't succeed. So you got a guy who couldn't get his players up to, to play after turnovers. Uh, against the uh, Bucks, you had six defensive penalties resulting in a first down. That's mm. discipline. That's on the head coach, the most one of the most penalized teams in football in his tenure, and yet he would preach discipline, discipline. There was no discipline in your office with your coaches. How the hell do you expect it to be on the field with your players? You know, one, one of the things that also happened in Pittsburgh this weekend that I noticed that I was just sick of was the fact that we have the good talent, and then you would see a great play made, and then what would happen? Flag on the play, we're bringing it right back. Right. And, and that's just a telltale sign of the discipline. It's just sickening when you're continuing to shoot yourself in the foot time after time after time, especially when there's great players making plays. I mean, Lord, Chubb is doing the best that he can. He breaks a 10-yard run. He just busted two people's face to do it. And all of a sudden, we have a block in the back that wasn't even necessary. It's just like, come on, Holding man. on like, the other side of the play. A legal block on the back, every special teams player, a hold, every special teams play. Even if Jabril Peppers was worth a damn returning the ball, every time there's a punt, there's a kickoff return, the Browns are getting flagged on special teams. I would have fired the, def- the special teams coordinator as well, too, because he hasn't done anything to warrant being here past week eight. That was Hughes hiring as well, so keep that in mind. Uh, and then the guy who... Um, who was hired to do it. I think he's still there. I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. But uh, he had had the job eight times before. And every time, every job that he had been in, the special teams had been in the bottom two, three of the league. Right. So how that man has a job right now, don't understand. Not at all. Right. And I, and I think uh, even Chris Tabor would be an upgrade, what we've had before, over what we're seeing now. Uh, so... Now this is Greg Williams' show. Greg Williams has an eight-game uh, audition. Not that I say he's going to be the, the coach next year. I don't think he's going to be the coach next year. I wouldn't want him to be the coach next year. No, I think he's got too much of a, of a negative history. Uh, but for where this team is now, 
uh, for the identity that they need to set up for the next guy of no more excuses, you know, blank you, we're going to show up and we're going to play, we're going to give it more all. I would have to say, you know, they gave the interim coach uh, position to the guy who's been the most consistent week in and week out, even though they've had a couple of spots where they've had some, you know, injuries have hurt this side of the ball. Um, and they sure they've had a couple of games where they gave up some big points, but they've also been on the field a lot as well. I would say even, and I'm going to say this, even if we were to win and finish the season with eight wins, um, essentially, you know, um, going six and two in your last day. Yeah. I mean, I still don't want Greg Williams as the coach, um, to, to be the next coach. Uh, in my opinion, I need somebody that's fresh, uh, understands offense because that's what we have. But Baker Mayfield is a genius as far as offense. And I think someone not, and I'm naming this guy and I, it's not necessarily that I want him. Uh, I named this guy in Lincoln Riley. I, I would want a guy like that. So the, the, uh, you know, someone that like Jared Goff and the Rams, uh, Sean McVay, Sean McVay, someone like that. Someone not necessarily young, but younger, someone who understands offense and has an idea that I need explosive offenses. I have explosive plays and things like that, because, that's who you have on your team. You have an explosive quarterback. You have an explosive uh, 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 running back in Duke Johnson and a, and, a, and a hammering running back in Nick Chubb. You also have two explosive receivers in Landry and Callaway. We need a, we need a, a guy that understands these type of players and makes plays for them. You just mentioned all of those, those guys, and you know, even you have Ninjoku. Uh, as your tight end. Uh, and then Joku this past weekend targeted once, but it was a penalty, so not really a target. No catches, no yards. Duke Johnson, you know, we kept on hearing uh, Hugh Jackson say, we're going to get him involved, we're going to get him involved. And I don't know if this was Todd Haley not getting him involved. Maybe he's not a Todd Haley guy. But for, for someone that you guys preach that was going to be involved, four touches for a game. That's one of your better players. And if you're struggling at the wide receiver position, I still don't understand why he's not in the game more. Put the guy in the slot and let him run some slant and goes, some sluggos, something. Just get the ball in his hands and let the guy make a play. And why they continue to not do this boggles my mind week in and week out. I'm not saying he's got to be your end-all, be-all, but if you're going to throw the ball to Jarvis Landry behind the line of scrimmage and expect him to run for 10 yards every time, he had eight receptions for 35 yards on Sunday. Eight, eight receptions for 35 yards. I don't think when Jarvis Landry came here, he thought this was going to be his lot. But Todd Haley was not coaching for his job. He was coaching to end Hugh Jackson's job. And this is ever more evident when you have a third and three in Pittsburgh territory and you're going to move the ball forward and you decide to run the ball in shotgun formation. Not only run the ball in shotgun formation, but run a delayed handoff in shotgun formation when you're third and three. That tells me you're not you're not trying. I mean, you and I can sit here, and and I'm saying Monday armchair quarterback. I'm saying there's kids out here that play Pop Warner knows that if you're gonna run the ball with three yards, you don't do it in shotgun formation because you put yourself seven yards back than where you need to be. Right. So that doesn't make any sense to run the ball in shotgun formation. You think he was gonna surprise them? It's third and three. They're already in a run defense. Like right. it is third and three. So And they've been in the backfield every single every time single that time. you whether you've been dropping back or in the shotgun. And, so why you thought that was gonna work, Tom? You know, for me, I'm thinking and, and I'm just sitting there thinking and I'm just Throwing plays out there. If you're going to do something from a shotgun formation, it better damn well be a slant or throw yourself a screen. Something. 
something like that because that would surprise the defense because they were already in run defense. I, I, I kept looking at it, and I kept replaying it in my head, and that's when I officially said, Tyler Haley, don't give a dang about this team right now. No. He don't because you don't call that play. And when you have 16 plays in the first quarter on Pittsburgh's side of the ball, and Pittsburgh's clearly struggling, you punch them in the mouth, and you get out of there with a win because Pittsburgh wasn't playing. They they were still sluggish coming off the, the bye week and trying to figure everything out. Ben was still throwing interceptions. We needed to be up at least 14 or 21 points by the end of that fourth quarter. I mean, that first quarter because we deserve that. And Todd Haley cracked the bed and didn't allow us to do that. Right. And if you see that, if your guy's dropping back, that he's getting bum-rushed, why not roll him out to the right or maybe do some bootlegs? Do something not to... Not one screen, Nothing. Man. Not a screen pass? Nothing. Not one screen I saw. All right. So we've talked Hugh. We've talked Todd. We're still going to talk more Hugh. We're going to talk more Todd. We're going to break down yesterday's loss a little bit more. Uh, Ty Lue gets fired. I'd like to touch on that, even though we said we're not going to be uh, too NBA heavy on this show. But since it is local and it was unexpected, I'd like to get into that. Um, talk about the World Series, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, you watched WWE Evolution last night, so I'd like to kind of see uh, what your thoughts are on that. Um, I have a more thoughts on uh, Crown Jewel uh, and my thoughts on WWE after going forward after that. Um, we'll also look at this weekend's game against the Chiefs. I don't know if the Browns have a chance, but we'll we'll break it down. And we've got several additions to the Jackass list, our ever-growing list. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so we're getting into all that uh, right after this. Welcome back to the voices of the TK and J Show. Speaking of voices, Ty Lue, only coach to win a championship in Cleveland since 1964. I mean... He was LeBron's assistant. I mean, I mean, he was the head coach of the Cavs. Um, gets fired after an 0-6 start to the season. Worst in the league record-wise. Worst in the league points given up. Worst in the league defensive efficiency. So, Larry Drew, longtime Cavs coach, is named the interim coach. Larry comes out today going into business for himself via the media, saying he is not the interim coach. He's merely the voice right now. Jay, what does that mean? That means he doesn't want the job. I, I And I agree with him. It, it's a position that, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a position that sets you up to fail. You're being asked to run this team that has been an empty cupboard. They've been cleaned out. Your star is injured and injury prone in Kevin Love. He don't want this. And he's out for a month now. Out of nowhere. And it, Larry Drew doesn't want this. This is a train wreck. And this, to me, is another sign when people tell me that LeBron James is selfish for leaving when that man has enough basketball sense and Larry Drew has bad enough basketball sense to understand that we do not want to be the, the figureheads of this team anymore and be the scapegoat for losing all the time when I'm literally dragging a flap of a skin of a basketball team all over the place. Right. That's what Larry Drew is basically saying. I do not want to be the head of the snake, that when we are now 0-14, you're chopping my head off too when there's not any basketball talent on this floor right now. Right. He wants to get paid before he takes us on. And I, I can't say that I blame him. Um, without LeBron, under Dan Gilbert, the Cleveland Cavaliers have a record. 97 wins. How many losses do you think they have? I would say in the, it's 125. 221. I undershot it a without, little bit. Without LeBron James. That was close. 305 winning percentage. 
he does pay a lot in luxury tax and he did when the Cavs were competing. But all of this, this mess, it starts at the top with Mr. Ego Detroit Maniac Dan Gilbert. And he wants to go buy the Tigers. Great. Buy the Tigers. Bye-bye. That's Sell great. the Cavs. Goodbye. Go, go, go back to Detroit. Take Quicken Loans with you. Wrap it up in a ball. Turn it. Oh, wait, I'm not the rock. Never mind. I, I'm, hey, take the Tigers because you could also turn the, the Tigers into an inept franchise as well, and we'll be glad to have the Cleveland Indians whooping that butt all the time. Be, this is this is this is a staple of Dan Gilbert right now. Dan Gilbert has put an unimpressive product on the floor time in and time out, and the only thing he lucked into was LeBron James. That is literally what he lucked into, and he literally thought he was too big for LeBron James. That's literally like we don't. To go back, let me just rewrite. Who was the owner of the Bulls when Michael Jordan was there? Nobody knows. Nobody even could tell you what the name of the owner was when Michael Jordan was there because that owner stayed the hell out of that franchise. It was Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan's team, and it was Michael Jordan's team before it was Phil Jackson's. That's how it should have been here. It should have been LeBron James' team, whoever he wanted in second command, and Dan Gilbert nowhere to be found. That's, that's how it should have been. Dan Gilbert wanted none of that. He wanted to beat his team and LeBron basically be subservient to him. And LeBron said, heck, to heck with you. I'm the best player in the world. I can do this anywhere, which he will. He'll do it with the Lakers, guarantee it. Maybe not this year, but next year for sure. You watch. He will do it. He's done it with every single team. For So for Dan Gilbert to make a man who was born here watch this team uh, play as a child to leave twice, that's on him. He's got to look himself in the mirror uh, for that because – you know, only in Cleveland, and I hate to say this because, you know, we say we won a championship and that we're not going to go back to the woe was me ways, but only in Cleveland, Ohio, can you have an owner be so bullheaded, so egomaniacal that you lose the best player of a generation or even a lifetime, not once, but two times. Dan, that's on you. And then you wonder why games are going on StubHub for two and three dollars a piece. <laughs> you know, shout out to my boy Mike Sugar. He, uh, he's uh, him and his uh, buddy, his brother Tim, have started a new podcast, which I will tell you guys about in a little while uh, to give them a shout out. But uh, you know, he goes, "Hey, anybody want to go to the game? There's you know good seats." I'm not going to give Dan Gilbert any of my hard-earned money for that product on the field. I can sit on my couch right here, flip back and forth between the Cavs and five other things to see that they're going to be down by 16 at some point, down by 20, get it to within eight, go back down by 20. I don't need to go down and pay $5 to ride the train there and back, pay $3 to get in, still pay full price for popcorn and beer and a hot dog. Why? Why would I do that? I have all that right here, and it's free. You know, and Dan Gilbert doesn't understand that his product – is the least it's the least sought after product in Cleveland. We only cared about basketball here because we were good. And if we go in obscurity, that's the way the Cavs will be. If we lose, no big deal. That stadium is going to sit empty. We don't care about basketball. No not and people will say they care about the Cavs and we only care about the Cavs because we're from Cleveland, because we're loyal to our sports. But as far as basketball goes, it's a joke. I, I'm, I'll say it time and time after again. The NBA is a freaking joke. And, and, and the reason why it's a joke is because there's no parity. We already know. It's a formality this season. Golden State Warriors are going to win it. Say I'm wrong. Tell me who's going to beat them. And if they get beat, it's going to be a surprise of the century. And I just know that at the end of the day, it's going to be the Golden State Warriors. They had the best roster to ever play basketball. 
So there's and they no... keep adding guys who aren't taking any money to come it, here and it, play with them. Exactly. So there's no reason for us to even watch the Cavs at this point, especially being on six. And the days of the of guys coming to play with LeBron are over because they see what happens. You know, especially here in Cleveland, maybe they might want to go play with him in L.A. because Magic Johnson does have a half bit of sense with running a franchise somewhat compared to Dan Gilbert. It's night and flipping day. But no one wanted to come here and have to deal with the ego that is LeBron and then deal with the yes-man GM, Kobe Altman, who is ultimately the puppet for the puppet master, Dan Gilbert. And I think everyone finally started to see through that, yeah, Dan was willing to pay for this and that for, you know, what LeBron wanted. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was probably LeBron's second and third choices of what he really wanted because nobody wanted to come here and deal with the owner, deal with the cold weather, and I can understand that. Maybe even back in 2010 when he first left, I couldn't understand that. But, man, I hate the cold weather. I wouldn't want to come play in Cleveland if, you know, if, if I don't have a bona fide shot at winning a title. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not coming here. Guarantee me a championship and I'll be here. Right. And to your point about Magic Johnson – Magic Johnson did exactly what we don't see here in Cleveland. I was just talking about this the other day. Other owners seem to go after what's available. There's there's no reason Manny Machado shouldn't have been here in Cleveland. I don't care what the price was. He should have been here in Cleveland. Uh, we we could have moved, you know, Jose Ramirez the second. And this may be off topic, but I'm getting to the point as far as basketball goes because this is the exact reason why. The Cavs are the way they are, and LeBron decided to leave because Dan Gilbert didn't do what LeBron asked him to do. We should have had Paul George on our team. We should have had uh, even Carmelo. Even when Carmelo was available, we should have had Carmelo on our team. Don't care if he's terrible. He probably would have gelled with LeBron. I mean, you're talking about one a prolific scorer and the greatest player of all time on the same team. It relieves the pressure off LeBron, and they're pretty much unstoppable at that point. The fact that Dan Gilbert didn't make those moves or fought, fought as hard as he could to make those moves happen is absolutely ridiculous to me. And that's why LeBron went to the Lakers, you know, or would have went there because Magic Johnson was a type of guy that saw Manny Machado was on the market and said, for me to get to the World Series, I need that dude on the team. And that's what he did. Manny Machado, he didn't produce, but he went and got him because he's the biggest name out there. And that's what Magic Johnson is going to do. And guarantee it. When Clay Thompson's available next year, you'll be—I'll be shocked if Magic Johnson doesn't put the highest offer on the table, and Clay Thompson just rejects it because he just doesn't want to go. Right. I mean, it won't be for the fact that Magic Johnson didn't try. It would be literally that Clay Thompson just didn't want to be a Laker. As much as I can't stand Golden State, I will have to say this: that their their team, their coach—you know—I love Steve Kerr as a player, and over the last four years, I've grown to hate the man just because you know they keep beating. they just keep winning, they keep winning, but they're ultimate concept of team camaraderie that's why they're winning they yeah they've got they've got stacked talent and they got a guy who couldn't you know beat them join them and you know have him up 3-1 and couldn't finish him off and then decided he was going to puss out and join him whatever however it speaks to the team camaraderie maybe he saw win look at these guys they're a team they're brothers they care about each other and at the end of the day only one thing matters there winning all the egos are set aside and it's about winning basketball games. And if Draymond Green doesn't get suspended, they beat us four years in a row. Plain and simple, because they're about winning. Winning, 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 and more winning. And coming together. It doesn't matter if Steph Curry scores 50 or Kevin Durant scores 50 or whoever scores. It doesn't matter who gets the job done. The job gets done because they are a team, a complete team. They don't play no damn iso ball. They don't 
try to have Kyrie on one side of the floor and LeBron on the other side of the floor and leave the other three guys wide-ass open to do absolutely nothing. Who's ever got the open shot takes it. It doesn't matter who gets the credit because the team, the name on the front of that jersey, meant more to them than the name on the back. And that's why they have won the championship three out of the last four years, and that's why they're going to win it again this year. There's just no question. There's just no question at all. So all those points you just made are they're super. They're just super on point. There's just nothing more to add to it because you you, you you think Kevin Durant comes on the floor and you look at all those guys on the team and you say there's not enough ball for them to play. But you know what? Damn it, they made enough ball for each one of them to play. It don't matter who's stepping up. It's whoever's got the hot hand. We're getting the ball to them and they're gonna keep sinking shots. When Draymond Green is is sinking threes and and you know Clay Durant uh, Curry aren't. They get it to they get it to him. They, and he's and not the guys guy. keep shooting it. Yeah. He, he stops hitting them in the first half. Those guys pick him up they in the pick second him up. half. Everybody's there to pick it up. And when you turn around and you look at a LeBron James led team, when LeBron's not hitting, so long to that team. Might as well turn it off, pack it in. It's going to lose the game. When Steph Curry's not hitting, you damn sure that Clay Thompson's going to hit. Or you, if Clay Thompson's not hitting, you best believe Kevin Durant's going to be hitting. Everybody steps up, but that's also because that franchise made a conservative effort to make sure there was zero holes in their team. And that's what's missing with the Cavaliers, and that's what Dan Gilbert was doing. We had too many liabilities on the floor all the time. Way too many liabilities. Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith. Oh, Lord, J.R. Smith. You know, uh, Kyle Korver, who disappeared every now and then when we got him to be a three-point shooter. Way too many liabilities. Lord, don't even get me started on Kevin Love, man. Just way too many liabilities on the floor not producing. And this is why LeBron was just sick of it. I'd be surprised if the dude came back. I really would. If he does, it's going to be a retirement uh, tour just to say goodbye. And that's going to be it. Don't expect another championship to happen here in Cleveland because Dan Gilbert don't want one. Because if he did, he'd have put a product on the floor that we could possibly get one. The only way that LeBron comes back to Cleveland after four years is if Dan Gilbert's no longer involved in the franchise. That is the only way he will come back. Um, you know, and, and for what it is, the Cavs are going to be just as bad, if not worse, these next four years that they were when uh, LeBron decided to leave the first time. And it's all on um, bad contracts. You didn't have to lock these guys up for the money that you gave them. They could have been shorter-term deals for the same amount of money that would have kept them happy while LeBron was here. But now you've got guys like Tristan Thompson, no part of the future here. You've got guys like J.R. Smith. No part of the future here. Kyle Korver, I'm still waiting for you to hit a shot in the finals. I'm still waiting for you to hit a shot in the finals. Tell me a big shot Kyle Korver made in any of the finals games in the two years he was here for the finals. All oh, the two years he was here? Never mind that. I was going to say when he when he played on the Bulls, that dude couldn't miss. Right. When he played for the Atlanta Hawks, that dude couldn't miss. Right. But he got here to Cleveland, and I was super excited. He was probably one of my favorite pickups that I thought we were going to get. And he turned around and, and just disappointed me on all levels. And I remember this argument I was having with uh, a good friend of ours, Adam Vino, about uh, the difference between, you know, when I tell them that LeBron's never had a more clutch three-point shooter than Ray Allen, Adam was saying that Kyle Korver was just as clutch as Ray Allen. No. And I about, my head about exploded. I, I mean, literally exploded because I was like, what? Kyle Korver has never hit the type of shots that Ray Allen has hit in his career. And when Ray remember, Allen single-handedly saved the Heat in that series dude, in the Ray finals Allen that year. single-handedly saved Boston in his career. He single-handedly saved the Milwaukee Bucks when he played for them. He saved the Seattle Supersonics when he played for them. Yes, he saved the Miami Heat from losing a back-to-back championships to the Spurs by hitting one of the most clutch shots of his career. 
And I was literally like, tell me a time where you sat back and Kyle Corver made you jump out of your seat because he hit a clutch three. And I was like, I'll wait. Man, I'm still waiting. What has that been like 300 days ago, man? Like, right. it hasn't happened. Like, Kyle Corver was the biggest letdown as far as three-point shooters I've ever seen. And in this day and age, if you're going to play against, especially against teams like Golden State, you may not need your whole team to hit threes, but damn it, somebody got to be able to hit threes, and it can't be LeBron James right. every single time. And, you know, I want to make one more point, you know, about we, we talked about Larry Drew says he's the voice of the Cavs. I mean, he ain't the voice of Jack Squat. Now, here's, here's my point behind this. When you think of the Bulls and the championship runs, those six titles that they won, who was the voice? Michael Jordan. The coach-wise, who was the voice? Oh, Phil Jackson. And who, who fell in line and followed what he wanted to do? Michael Jordan. Michael and then Jordan. everyone else in suit fell behind. Golden State, Steve Kerr. The voice of that team, the power that they have on that team as far as star power goes, he's the voice. Everybody else falls in line, and they play as a team. Name one coach, one coach that LeBron has played for in Cleveland or even anywhere else where that coach has been the voice, and he's fallen in, and so has everybody else. You'll disagree with me, but uh, Eric Spolstra. And I'm okay. With, I, I will go. I can agree to that to a certain extent. So let me rephrase the question. In Cleveland... What coach did he have that was the voice of the team, the voice of the franchise, from a basketball standpoint where he was all in and everybody fell in behind him? I don't think he had that coach. No. I don't, I don't think he has he that. And you know who Paul, the voice? Paul Silas might have been the closest to him, and that's only because LeBron was so uh, essentially, a fre- yeah, he was right. essentially a freshman, sophomore. I don't need my owner being the voice of my franchise. Right. I need my owner to write the checks. I need my owner to okay trades when it involves high-dollar stuff. And I need my owner to let my GM come in and not have a puppet in place as a GM that is a yes-man and let him run the basketball team. Dan Gilbert, 97-221. and It's just as bad, almost as bad, as 3-36-1. It's time for you to step back, get some basketball people in here after this season's over, blow it up, get rid of Altman, get rid of the entire staff, and bring in... A basketball-minded GM that gives a damn that's going to have people in Cleveland giving a damn about the Cavs again. And for me, you know, one of the things I've always said, there's there's especially two bad things in sports that I'll tell you that that tell you where the level of the the type of sport is. One, for me, is if I know your name and you're an umpire. That means you're terrible. Oh, Angel Hernan? Oh, my bad. Exactly. <laughs> right. You know, if we know your name and you're an umpire... You're terrible. If you're a referee, if you're if you're a head referee in the NFL, and I know your name, Unless besides you got... Ed, it's besides Ed Hockley, right? With the muscles, it's right. besides Ed Hockley, you're terrible. This is the same thing when it comes to owners in every single sport. If I know your name because you and, and you're not high profile, like you're not Usher, you're not Jay Z, you're not Magic Johnson, you're not Michael Jordan. If if I know your name. It's because your team sucks. And it's the same with Mark Cuban. Dallas has only been good one season. And they got lucky. That team had no business beating the Heat that year. Don't know why. That was the best finals I've ever seen. (laughs) Just because I was still pissed about it. Right. They had no business. But Mark Cuban, uh, Jerry Jones, another one. Uh, Al Davis was another one. Now we are at Dan Gilbert and Jimmy Haslam. We both know his names. The, the thing about it is for me, if I know your name and 
in your as the owner of the franchise, nine times out of ten, your team sucks. The, there's only a few times where I can even think of it. It's Arthur Blank. He's the only one, and you might not know who he is. I only know him because the Falcons. Thank you. Yep. Okay, good. The only reason why I know him is because he's also the home, owner of Home Depot. So, and I came to find out that he was also the owner of the, of the Falcons. But I always wondered who that dapper guy was on the sidelines of the Falcons game. People told me, but I don't know his name because he's always in the Falcons business. I know his name because he's just there. Like right. he's not always in the Falcons affairs and things like that. It's not like, well, we got to go talk to Arthur Blank to see what we're putting on the field. No, that's not the case. What I realize is that if I know an owner's name, nine times out of ten, they got their hands stuck where it shouldn't be, and the team is terrible. That's period. End of story. That's that's how I feel. If I know your name, your team's not going to be good. Right. So, and you know, speaking of you know coaches getting fired and you know bad owners, you know, I'm not throwing the Dolans in there because the Dolans have stepped up to their credit, and then the Indians today. God love them. Oh, my God. They, they trolled everybody today. They trolled the Cavs. They trolled the Browns without even mentioning it. There's that meme of Terry Francona putting on the Chief Wahoo glasses, you know, and his, you know, Hawaiian shirt. And it said, never fear, everyone. Hall of Fame manager Terry Francona will be at Tribe Days coming up next month. And it's just like, no kidding. Like, you know, speaking of voices, one voice in that locker room and everybody seems to, to, to fall in. We have one of those in our in our baseball team. Well, you know, Frank Kona is definitely a, a player's coach, and he's guilty. He's guilty. Jason Kibnis is one of his biggest failures, I'll say. He's definitely guilty, but Terry Frank Kona has earned his spot. I and, and if anybody says different because we lost in the playoffs, you're crazy. You got beat by a better team that cheated. You, you're, I mean, you got beat by a better team. You're right. Yeah, we got beat by a better team that essentially cheated. <laughs> you, you're, but you're crazy. The, the Cleveland Indians have been the best team in Cleveland for almost 20 years now, bar none. You find me a time where they weren't, even when the Cavs won the championship, the, the Indians were still the better team right. uh, it, it, as a team. Team-wise, team, yeah. Team, the yeah. better team. The championship don't mean jack squat to me because it does. I'll take that back. It means <laughs> What I mean is, is when we're talking about teams and, and consistency, the Indians have been Cleveland's dynasty. And to me, Terry Francona has been part of that for the past six, seven years now. So he doesn't need to go anywhere. Absolutely not anywhere. He is, he's is he been playing with house money since he got here. And he's turned this team into a perennial playoff team, if not World Series contender. Five out of the six years he's been here. Right. So, And the one year they didn't go, they just had the injury bug just kill them. And they still finished with a winning record. Yeah, eighty-two and eighty, but uh, yeah. So yeah, Frank, uh, Mr. Francona is safe. Uh, thank goodness. Oh, this is funny. You'll you'll get a kick out of this. I got to read this on the air. Um, so somebody today has a, um, you know, those funny like you got like the you know Hillary, Hillary and Trump different sports teams, and yeah. you got like there's one out there for Baker Mayfield. He's like a they make him like a Civil War type yeah captain guy. captain Mayfield. So now you have Lieutenant Baker Mayfield, dearest mother. Brown's company was ambushed at Fort Pitt. Survivors have straggled back to Camp Berea. Colonel Jackson and Major Haley have both been dismissed for gross incompetence. I am battered but safe and ready to fight on in this long, grueling war. Your loving son, Baker. Yeah, they 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 they, they pilfered <laughs> off of the Andrew Luck one, and it's so great because it, it fits <laughs> it fits perfectly. We were talking about Baker Mayfield uh, today. We were looking at him at the lunch table as the the announcements came out, and he. He came out and he had some statements. That he just looks like a regular guy. 
Yeah. It, it, just like a guy that you could just hang out with, you'd be sitting around playing video games with, and, and this is why he had the attitude of, I'm not going to shed a tear. I mean, I'm going to still do what I do. When the time comes, give me the ball. I'm going to make it happen. And that's why I like Baker Mayfield because he, he could have easily thrown the towel in yesterday and said, hey, you know what? I'm pretty banged up. I don't want to, you know, oh, it's okay. Let Tyrod go in. But no, he's like, I'm out here because I still believe I can make a play to help this team get back in the game. I don't care if I'm hurt. I can still walk. I'm going to go out there and battle with my guys. Right. He, he is a younger, better version as far as, you know, just being a leader of Josh McCown. Like when Josh McCown made that speech after he broke his collarbone, Bob just wanted to be out there with his with his brothers and be out there with his guys making plays. I wanted to run through a wall for that guy that day. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about Baker Mayfield. And I'm much older than Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, Baker Mayfield has all the tangibles and intangibles to be a star in this league. It's just that we, uh, you know, we need to get him in place uh, in a place where there's a coach and a mentor that's going to help him, you know, gel like Jared Goff did. And and McManahan, he made that statement today about trading Baker. And part of me was just like, I feel you because you want Baker to succeed. You want him to succeed as a guy in in, in in this league as a player. And you think that if the Browns mismanage this situation, we could possibly lose out on one of the greatest quarterbacks to be in this league. And I'm saying that about Baker Mayfield. I think with the right situation, he could be one of the greatest in this league. Are we going to be able to do that here in Cleveland? I hope so. But if not, I, I do want to see him go off and do someplace, go someplace and do better because he's not going to be the type of Brown that gets traded and does terrible after this. He's going to be the type of player that will get traded and do something special for somebody else. Or walk when his contract's up. Exactly. So I hope that, that you know, Haslam, I hope that Dorsey see what they have in Baker Mayfield and realize that, you know, this dude is either going to outgrow this team or we're going to grow with him. And there's no in-between about it because he's not that guy. He's not Brandon Whedon. He's not Brady Quinn. He's darn sure not Johnny Manziel. He is a good player. And with some with some help, he's, he's going he's gonna to explode. And I hope that we show that to him by addressing the line in the draft and addressing keeping people here to, to, to keep him having targets and either adding more people so that he has more explosiveness around the offense. I, I really hope that happens. You have the quarterback. You have a lot of the pieces skill-wise. You could still use a few more, but there's enough there to build around what you have. The foundation is in place. Now it's time to build on that foundation and start building the rest of the house. You have finally a foundation that's not built on sand or built on something. This We're building it on the side of a mountain. Yeah. But now it's time to dig into that mountain and make something of it. He has the potential to easily be the best Brown that has ever happened. And for us, it's got to be realized. And that's where I'm asking is the time is now. We have the players in place to turn this franchise around. Now it's time for the front office to get their ish together. I just don't understand time in, time out since this team came back in 1999, how we have not turned this ship around, like, at all. You have an entire generation and a half of people who have never seen the Browns be good outside of 9-7 and seven and 10-6. and six. Dude, remember the first time we started this, we talked about the Browns, and I went to the Football Hall of Fame, and I saw that little kid looking at the Browns and say, Mommy, 
the Browns were actually good at one point. Man, that that killed me. That cut you. Yeah, and I'm sitting there with my friend who's from Georgia, his whole family there. My wife is there. She's from Georgia. They all think it's a giggle fest, and I want to punch all of them because (laughs) what you laughing at, man? Like, this is my team. What you laughing at? uh, But it's the truth. The kid was right. He he's never gonna he's never even known the Browns to be good. They've been a joke since he's been born. Right. Kid had to only be like 10, 12 years old. And and it, they they've been a joke since he's born. And and they've been a joke since I was in high school. And that that was that's a long time ago. Right. And so to to me, you know, if if this is the way it's going to be, then, you know, either get rid of the team because we can't and apparently we can't handle it. Or we all need to just stop going to the games and just let that thing sit. Just let the Browns play and just be terrible and be scrimmages for other teams. It's about time we get we get a product here because everybody else has done it. The Jaguars were the last remaining piece to be good, and even they were a playoff team last year. When's, when's our turn? They were they were a quarter away from going to the Super Bowl. When, when is it our when turn? When is our turn? <laughs> so this is probably the second to last pot shot I'm going to take at Coach Jackson. However, I feel the need to do it today. The last five Browns head coaches have won a combined 36 games, Jay. Eric Mangini won 10 in two years. Pat Shermer won nine in two years. Chud won four in his only season. Man, I forgot about Chud. <laughs> he got the raw end of the deal. That's another, another thing. Patton, 10 wins in two years. Hugh Jackson in two and a half seasons, three wins. Way to go, dumbass! <laughs> no, you got a tie in there, so that's that's always good. I mean, at least we're trying. What's the look on my face right now that you said tie? <laughs> it, I didn't even look over. Oh, I, I, I yeah, kept my face straight as right, I said. You, yeah, because I'm staring lasers through you. Yeah, man, my head my, in here still. My goodness. <laughs> All right, so you know what? I said we were going to talk more about the game yesterday, but quite honestly, I think we said all we needed to say about it. There's really not much to say. It was not a watchable game from probably when the Steelers scored their first touchdown. I was sitting here by myself. My dad had just left. Shout out to my dad. We had to cut into the brand new wall that we just finished because I messed up telling him where some of the electric went. That was a fun day yesterday. But when the... When the Steelers scored that first touchdown and went up 7-6 with everything I had seen, I go, well, this is over. They're not going to win. They, they can't win. Based off what I've seen, the penalties, the offensive play calling, the way the defense was starting to kind of crumble a little bit, they got, you know, Pittsburgh figured it out. I'm like, there's no point. Even when they got the safety, free kick, recover, which I've never seen that happen before, and they end up scoring a touchdown, I'm like, they're not going to do nothing. They got a gift. And I was I would have been shocked if they would have if they would have kicked a field goal in that point. Pittsburgh Steelers weren't even trying. And no. that's 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 the horrible part about it. You know when you know when I thought Hughes should have been fired, I'll tell you when Hughes should have been fired. Remember when we, we went on sixteen, of course, we all remember that. Do you remember the in the sixteenth game, the Pittsburgh Steelers put in their second team? To start the game against us. Well, yeah, because they already had a playoff spot locked up. We didn't, they didn't play anybody that, that that week. That day when we lost to Pittsburgh's second team. Most of these guys hadn't seen playing time all year, and we lost when we had our first first group of guys in that game, and we lost. That day, Hugh should have not walked out of Pittsburgh. Should not have walked. No, that was in Cleveland, wasn't yeah, he Cleveland? Sh- yeah, he should have been fired before he got to the locker room. Yeah. He should have been fired yesterday before he got to the locker room, let alone wait till he noon. He should have been today. fired before the season started. No. We should have been We should have been on hard knocks looking at the new coach, learning who the new coach we is. We shouldn't have been on hard knocks because we would have had a new coach. <laughs> you can't be on hard knocks with a brand new coach. You can't. No. They, you can, they won't ask you if you've had a brand new coach. I feel like that's uh, 
something they should relook into because why would you not want a storyline of a new coach learning the ropes of his new players? Right. That doesn't make any sense to me, HBO. That sounds like it's made more for, of an NFL thing than anything else. But that's yeah. made for TV right there, man. A new coach coming in. Because we all wonder what it's like what a, a new coach come in, what what kind of person he's going to be, what how what kind of control he has over his locker room, what kind of product are we going to see when they run out of the field. That's great for hard knocks. I, right. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe that is an NFL thing. But if you're worried about image, how the hell is Hugh Jackson still coaching, man? Like, Well, he he gone. He gone. All right. I'll take my second pot shot at Hugh Jackson now. I was going to do it in the, in, the, in the next segment or the final segment when we, uh, when we talk about some other things. But here's the Browns game by game under Hugh Jackson. And L means loss, W means win, and T means tie. Here we go. And I got to make sure that I get this right. For all of those, keep it score. Right. L, 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 W. Hang on. There's a whole other page. L, 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 T, L, W, L, W, L, L, L. Fired! That felt good. <laughs> and uh, credit to Field Yates for that tweet. He put that out, and I was laughing hysterically at work. So, at Field Yates, great job. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm just in a mood tonight. No, I mean, it's it's a great night. It's a great... It's it's. It's what the Browns are. It's, it's just slapstick comedy. I mean, it really is. Right. We're we're forever we're forever dumps of fire right now, and most of us are. I know me and you are 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 two two sides of the coin. We think it's funny, but we're also tired of it because uh, we want a team to win. You know, this is why it, I say this all the time. This is why you nut fans are so crazy, Ohio State fans, because it's the only damn football team you guys got. Maybe that's what it is. It really is. You know what I kind of feel like the Browns are. I kind of feel like the Browns are being written by Vince Russo, and that's why we're forever bad. <laughs> I, you know, and, and, and it's crazy because uh, <laughs> it's just you just never see a team that is this bad, like this 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 organized, this dysfunctional. It's just you well, know, Vince Russo could come up with firing coaches when they fired them, or the, some of the personal decisions that they've made, or even some of the clowns they've brought in to throw the football. This is Vince Russo esque. It's just you know, some if you if you throw some of the names out there that, that have thrown a football in the NFL, thanks to the Browns, you would literally be like, "How did I not get drafted?" Because I mean, you know, I, I've seen some guys throw the ball and like Brandon Whedon, who pu. Johnny Manziel, oh my God, oh terrific! Uh, it, you know Brady Quinn. I, I'll give Brady Quinn his due. He was a decent college quarterback. He had no business being a starter in the NFL. He should have been someone's backup at most. Well, I mean, he was more concerned about bodybuilding than anything else. Exactly. You know, but let, let's just go through real quick, and then we'll uh, go to the next segment. So, the list of quarterbacks during Hughes' tutelage: the so-called quarterback whisperer. Tyrod Taylor, the only quarterback to not have a losing record, won one and one. And he got one. And he, he got one under Hugh. Right. He, and the game that he won, Baker Mayfield won for him. Let's right. go ahead and throw that in there. Baker Mayfield's one and four. Uh, let's see. You have Robert Griffin III, one and four. Those are the only ones that have won. You have uh, Hogan, 0 oh and one. 
Cody Kessler started eight games. Do you remember any of the games Cody Kessler started? I don't. They were losses. So he couldn't throw the ball downfield. They all kind of blend together after a while. Uh, Josh McCown, 0-3. Yeah. And now it's all coming back to me because I wrote this down. And then Deshaun Kaiser, 0-15. <laughs> and you know what the funny part about Deshaun Kaiser? You know, That's I, not even his fault. Exactly. It's I was going to say... He's still dumpster fire. We that that was ever more evident, you know, when he went to Green Bay and he had to come in for Aaron Rodgers, and we we're like, oh lord, like, right. you know, I know Green Bay was like, oh, oh my gosh. There's a reason Aaron. why Aaron Rodgers is playing on one <laughs> yeah. leg the whole they, season. They said, hey, Aaron, you got, hey, hey, put your leg back in the socket and come back out on this field, man. Like we could no, oh no. Who the hell is he throwing the ball to? <laughs> he he threw seven damn passes and threw a pick six. Mike McCarthy's like. I don't care what's in that. Shoot that shoot that leg yeah. up and get back on that yeah, field. Yeah, John Voigt was in that locker room so put that put that needle in his leg. <laughs> you put that needle in his leg, you find yourself another blanket quarterback. <laughs> it just I mean Deshaun Kaiser, woo! And but uh, you know, I don't blame all that on Deshaun Kaiser. I blame that on Hugh for putting that young man out there and letting him stink up the joint. It just that guy has no I, I guarantee he has no confidence anymore. He came here to develop a quarterback, and only three of the seven quarterbacks that started for him <clears throat> won a game, and each of them only won one. And I think that tells you all you need to know about Hugh Jackson in the NFL. All right, so before Jay and I have any more thought-provoking conversations off the air, maybe we'll have a few more on the air. Um, we were talking off there. I was just kind of looking, and he made a point on Twitter, you know, and I, I took it with a grain of salt because he's a Michigan fan, and he's three-quarters right when he says Ohio State drops to 11th after an awful loss to Purdue, and then <laughs> and then they move up three spots <laughs> after not playing. I'm sorry. I forgot all about that, man. I, I was in my feelings on that <laughs> you one. Went, I, I was, was like, I could read the salt coming off. Dude, I, man, there was, I was the Morton salt lady for oh, sure. man. <laughs> but the way I was looking at it, I was just like, well, three teams above them did lose, so naturally you'd have to move up even if you didn't play. I mean, it'd be the same thing for Michigan, I would think. I mean, I would look at it and say three teams below them or above them lost. They didn't play, so naturally they would move up. I mean, I would say the same for you know, for anybody. Um, but I, I am an Ohio State fan, and my buddy, shout out to you, Adam Cerny. Uh, Special Olympics basketball starts here pretty soon. And also, we are looking for a Division Four basketball coach. If anybody out there is interested, please get at me on Twitter Email me, email the show. Uh, I don't know if Jay's interested in it. If you are, we desperately need a head coach for our Division Four team. You would get to hang out with TK twice a week and on game days too because I volunteer my time on game days to um, do the uh, scoreboard for any of the games that are before ours because we always play last because we only have the highest division. So I look at it as, you know, I practice with these guys during the week, even some of the you know, young ladies we see them too that play. So I owe it to them to come out and support them. And if that means I get to sit there and kind of run the scoreboard and kind of throw out coaching suggestions from the sideline, whoops, um, I do that. But we are looking for a Division Four uh, coach. Um, and I'd like to get uh, Special Olympics coordinator Shelly Schaefer on in the near future to kind of talk about a little bit more about that. And I've also been asked to be on Wadsworth City Radio this week to talk about our basketball team. Well, that's good. I'm kind of excited about that, yeah. But uh, Adam... I was, you know, texting him because he's he bleeds scarlet and gray. Like he never went there, but with everything he's been through in his life, like Ohio State is his team. So sometimes I find it funny to just irk him a little bit with my with my text messages. So I'll just start tweeting him, you know, over or chatting him, texting him overrated or 
what the hell is that? Or, you know, this game's over. Up, oh, dagger. And, like, he goes, who the hell are you rooting for? Like, he even called me, who the hell are you rooting for? What the hell is wrong with you? I mean, <clears throat> you are kind of a prisoner of a moment when it comes to to the sports teams. I've, I've talked to you down the ledge many a times when it's come to Cavaliers, and I think I was finally able to give you enough uh, enough of a placebo with LeBron James that you didn't you stopped doubting things with the Cavs and 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 so I, I see that a lot of people are prisoners in the moment. I deal with it all the time on Twitter with people mm-hmm. that are prisoners in the moment, and uh, I, I deal it with with Michigan fans as well. And uh, one of the things I have here, um, which is funny, uh, Michigan on Big Ten, uh, the Michigan Big Ten Network. Uh, Twitter handle tweeted out. Apparently, there's a game between Notre Dame and, and uh, Northwestern that I didn't know about because uh, I'm not paying attention that much. And the question was: Is who would you be rooting for in this situation? And you can't really go wrong, but in my opinion, you want Notre Dame to win if you're a Michigan fan. Absolutely. And and why? It's, it's like me and TKC here. We agree on this, but yet I got some type of troll that decided he wanted to come at me about it. And say that I was pretty much basically an idiot in his best terms. That why would we want Notre Dame to win? Because I'm basically saying I would rather Notre Dame in the playoffs. Well, if Notre Dame wins out, it they're in the playoffs anyway. Right. But this guy failed to recognize, and most of his followers who seem to be co-signing for him failed to realize that LSU and Alabama play this weekend. Now I did see that because that's supposed to be the game of the week. Right. If Michigan beats Penn State. And Alabama and LSU play each other. Um, Michigan's in, right? Because one of them have to lose. So why would I not root for Notre Dame to beat Northwestern? Because the resume looks better. You can't kick Michigan out when their only loss is to an undefeated Notre Dame. It's basically making Michigan undefeated. Right. You basically just take that loss off there and say, you know what? You played Notre Dame at the beginning of the year. You lost to them by seven, and they're undefeated. Three things right there, you're excused. Right there. End of story. There's no question about it. But apparently, the prisoner of the moment Michigan fans can't do the math in their own blessed head and realize that if Notre Dame... Wait, this was a Michigan fan coming at you? Yes. A Michigan fan coming at another Michigan fan. I'm literally arguing, and it makes me sad for my fan base that we're that stupid to not understand that Notre Dame has literally taken L's from the University of Akron. I love you, the Zips, but you know you're not good. They literally took an L from uh, the University of Akron. Uh, I forget who else they lost to, but it wasn't a great team. It was definitely a mid-conference team. And if Northwestern, who is a better team than they, they've led on, beats Notre Dame, that taints the loss against Michigan because now people are like, oh, my God, Notre Dame isn't as good as we, we thought they were. It's the exact same thing that happened to Ohio State losing to Purdue the way they did. So how I'm sitting here having this long beef with this dude and everybody co-signing for this dude, I just don't even understand. I'm sitting next to an Ohio State dude who I didn't even have to tell him what I said, and he understood what where I was going with it. Right. And, and, and I'm saying there's no wrong answer here. Notre Dame losing still puts Michigan in for the time being, but Notre Dame not losing puts us in at the end of the time when it matters, when they, when they get in the room and they have their little deliberation, the 12 people that are in there, they have the little deliberation. There's no question that if Michigan wins out, Notre Dame wins out, those two teams are in. Period. End of story. Absolutely. If, if Notre Dame doesn't win out, Michigan does win out, Michigan may not make it because they'll say, well, 
we still want to include Notre Dame because they, in fact, beat Michigan. But Notre Dame beating Michigan's, you know, they're they're beating Michigan. They lost to Akron. Notre Dame's not as great as we thought, so Michigan might not be as great as we thought either. It gives them that that little glimmer of doubt to not put Michigan in this this playoff. I don't understand how people don't get that. I, I just don't understand. But I'm literally arguing on Twitter, and I'm starting to think the uh, the coach for uh, Oklahoma State was onto something. It's a bunch of people behind keyboards that are waiting to collect their welfare checks. Literally. Yeah, that's pretty much what Twitter is for the most part. I, I really, uh, I just, you know, it just it behooves me because I'm sitting here, I'm like, I'm having an unintelligible conversation with this guy, basically thinking that he's smarter than me about it because his his thing was like, would you rather have two lottery tickets or none? And I'm like, well, that's a terrible comparison because I had 20 for the Mega Millions and I'm still hitting, still sitting here. Wait, if no you money. won that, you wouldn't be doing the. Sh- okay, I know. No, that. no, not that. <laughs> I'm saying I'm still just sitting here, not driving my Ferrari to our studio. Like, oh, you know, I see. You know, like well, I'm still just won, sitting right here. If you won that kind of money, it'd be the J and TK show. Then, no, no, it'd still be the way it is. It's just that our studio would be bomb dank. Like, <laughs> uh, we might be kicking Adam the Bull off the radio. God. Love him, man, but uh, I just don't even understand that, that the conversation we're having. But these are the type of unfortunate conversations that I'm having with people because they can't seem to do the math in their head and understand how the past four years have worked with the playoff committee that it's all the eye test. It's not... It's not about records. It's all the eye test. This is why. What have you done for me lately that looks good? It's the undeserving teams sometimes that you guys feel that they're undeserving. But guess what? It's the name. I was was talking to, to you about Ohio State, and you said they're overrated. And I said they are. They're probably one of the more overrated teams in college football. And don't get mad at me and don't add me. This is what I'm saying about Ohio State. Ohio State may be overrated, but they win games. They know how to win. They win games that they have no business they should win. They like like against TCU should have lost that game. Or against Penn State last year with against JT Penn State. Barrett. Penn State this year they yeah. had no business winning those games, but they do. And because of that brand, they always get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the playoff time because of they are who everyone thinks they are. Because what happens when Ohio State gets that benefit of the doubt? They win the whole thing. Every single time. Yeah, but this year you've got an Alabama team who would destroy Ohio State by 20. You have a Clemson team who would beat Ohio State by two touchdowns, in my opinion. Notre Dame, I haven't watched enough of Notre Dame yet to see how good they are. I mean, they do play a pretty tough schedule. Um, LSU would beat Ohio State right now. Georgia would beat Ohio State. Oklahoma beats Ohio State. Does Michigan beat Ohio State? I still don't have it in me to say that as an Ohio State fan, but I don't see them as a top-four team. They're, They're not. And I don't want to see them get in and then have Clemson happen again. Yeah, well, you're just going to be staring down the barrel of it because if if they get past Michigan, and I'm putting the if in there this time. Oh, it is very much if. Oh, yeah. Not win anymore um, because with with the way the past two seasons have gone, Michigan should have walked away from both of those games with wins, undisciplined, and shooting themselves in the foot is why Michigan ran away from those games as losers. So... This year is a huge if. If Michi- if Ohio State beats Michigan, you have no choice but to put Ohio State in if they beat the West contender for the Big Ten title. And 
in my opinion, it's going to be Northwestern because Wisconsin's yeah, how, been you, terrible. You can't put Ohio State in, in that when they beat a god-awful Northwestern team for the Big Ten Championship. Because Ohio State is who they are. You Thinking about the remaining games on the schedule, the only team above them right now that stands a chance is Oklahoma. That's the only team right now. But when you look at it, LSU is going to lose. Um, uh, I feel like Notre Dame may not finish. Uh, undefeated at some point, and there's a, there was another team that I'm looking at. It is uh, I pulled up oh, the you big, pulled a Big Ten schedule. Yeah, I, wanna, I know. I, I just, just to take a look at it, and it's just like there's nobody in that Western Division that makes me say, "Holy smokes!" If Ohio State beats these guys, even if they've been big, they deserve to go in. Because I'm sorry, if you lose by 29 points to a three and two Purdue team, who is, I'm sorry, no, they're four and four. They're three and two overall in the conference. Northwestern's five and three. They lose to Akron. You've got Iowa, who's six and two. Iowa's really the only one in there that I could say they should. Uh, you know that they're a quality team. Uh, Nebraska's garbage. Minnesota's garbage. Illinois's garbage. Um, but you're still beating. A, if you beat a Michigan team, who is a top top five team right now, which they literally are. They I are. mean, there's, oh. they're, they're, they passing the eye test completely. Oh, absolutely. They're, they are they're, a very good football they, team. They are, Jim Harbaugh has turned them into a decent team. They look pretty stout. Um, this is not me just being biased because I've used to say the same things about Ohio State, and I still feel that Ohio State, while their ranking may be overrated, I still think they're a good football team, um, and they know how to win. If you beat a number five Michigan team, in my opinion, you deserve to hop a co- over a couple people. Georgia had their shot. Oklahoma had their shot. They had Texas. Georgia had uh, LSU. They both lost. Ohio State beat their top five team. So why not jump them? Why would you not jump them? Like it, uh, that, that to me means you're at least going to five. LSU is going to lose, so they're probably going to drop to five. Right. I, while LSU may be able to beat Ohio State, it's, we're never going to see it. Yeah. And and Georgia it has to play Alabama in the SEC championship. And there's no way a two-loss team gets into the, to the playoff. No, so, no way. So this is why Ohio State makes it in. If they beat Ohio, if they if they win out, they make it in the playoffs. If Michigan wins out, they make it into the playoffs. Those two teams control their destiny. This is why the Michigan Ohio State game is still the best rivalry game in all football because somehow it always is for for more than just pride. It's it's for something. I still wish Ohio State and Michigan State were in separate divisions in the Big Ten because not only would I like to see them play their, the last game of the year, but even even so, even if one of them has a bad game or it's a close game and something happens, I'd still love to be able to say, man, they're going to play again next week or in two weeks or in three weeks for the Big Ten Championship. Why isn't, why, why isn't that happening? Because the reason the game is so hyped up as it is is because you only get one shot at it. You only get one one time to box with, and not God, but this is what you're getting. Yeah, okay, CM Punk. Right. You only get time <laughs> one time to box with God, and that's it. You better take your best shot. And if you don't play that way, you got to wait 365 days. Michigan's been waiting 2,000 to beat. There's Ohio a State. Twitter account every day, and I, I don't tag you in it because I like you, but literally, it just, their handle changes every day with. So days that pass. when you like it, though, I still see it, so I had to mute it. Oh, did you? I, yeah, I, had to I only it. like them here and there. I don't like it every no, single day. No, but when you do, I had to meet it, mute it because, I mean, I'm trying to control my blood pressure, and <laughs> it doesn't help when I see that every single day. I understand that Michigan has been just putrid 
for the past seven years. And the past three years, we finally come back. But, you know, it's tough to look at. I think things are changing. Uh, I don't know if this year is the year. But darn, if next year won't be the year, I'll be shocked because we'll oh, have yeah. a senior. It's coming. Yeah, I mean, it's coming. you know, the quarterback returning from Michigan is going to be a senior. Uh, and he's not good enough to go to the NFL, but he's good enough to manage an offense, apparently, from what he's shown. And we still got two young receivers in Nico and, and Donovan Peoples-Jones, and we have Tyreek Black coming back. And, you know, I, I know you guys don't want to hear about Michigan. I understand. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox about Michigan, but – uh, I'll tell you, this team is going to be a force to reckon with for the coming years, and Ohio State's number is going to get called. So get ready, because uh, if it's not this year, that two, that countdown is going to be zero next year. I promise you. That. I told you, I don't feel good about the game this year. You I, don't have I, to feel good. No one ever feels good about it. I mean, this. Oh, is the, I felt good about it a lot lately. I just don't feel good. You should have felt good year. about it last year and the year before that. But I did. You shouldn't have. You notice how when JT Barrett got that first down, I hid behind the biggest guy in the room because he was an Ohio State fan. Yeah, I still take him down, though. We tried that. We all saw how that worked out for us. He's tripping. Yeah, I can take him down. Stop it. Uh, You, myself, Vino, Will, and somebody else was there. We're all on top of this guy trying to hold us down, and he literally Hulk smashes us all off of him. Yeah, well, we'll figure it out. (laughs) I mean, he is truly like a, a man among children. So the question I have to ask you real quick, you're having your surgery. Are you going to be ready for the big game? Yes. Um, it's it's a two week recovery. So one week off work, the next week won't be Thanksgiving, will it? No, because you're doing it first week. Yeah, no, you'll ha- yeah you'll have. Three I, weeks. I planned I planned my surgery with that in mind. Um, and, and in fact, I think I'll be even more forced to re reckon with this year because I'll actually be able to breathe. A lot of last year, a lot of things that happened to me where I had here to, come the excuses. I had to, no no for me for, for me personally. I I was pre- I was pretty disappointed in my performance because. I had to take some plays off because I had no air because I couldn't literally breathe. You have two and a half weeks, 17 days from your surgery to the big game. Yeah, I'll be fine. I, I plan on playing soccer the week after. All um, right. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, but I, I know that uh, after the surgery, I should be be ready to go. Um, I'll only be on a disabled list for, for really a week. I think I'll take the two weeks just to make sure right. that I recover properly. Um, and I think the first big thing I will be doing is, is our turkey bowl. I, uh, I'm going to need you because you probably are friends with more of the people on Facebook for this. I need you to put that out there in a uh, you got it, man. In, in a Facebook thing. Make sure that it's private because I don't need certain people that we know um, getting in on it. And I keep getting asked, you know, why don't you guys come out and play? And it's, you know, all kidding aside, those are some of my, you know, some of my closest friends as well. But we have a bigger group. They have a bigger group. If we were to come together and play you're going to have more guys watching than playing, and that's not what the day is about. So that's why I was like, no, we're not going to do that on that day, only because on that day everybody should be on the field as close to 100% of the time sure. enjoying what it is. Sure. Um, and he did send me something, and it was kind of funny. You'll get a kick out of this. I waited to share this with you. But Pinnacle on Route 18, you know, up towards Fairlawn, they have, you know, adult leagues for uh, P- Pinnacle to play football, either indoor or outdoors. So I get sent a link to Pinnacle Sports, and I know exactly where this is going. And then, like, he put, like, a face that didn't have a mouth on it. And I said, oh, you want Jay and I to put a team together to play you guys? That's cute. <laughs> and no response. He immediately went to uh, New Orleans versus Minnesota. Not, no rebuttal, nothing. He knew I had him dead to rights. Oh, <laughs> oh he wants this work bad, huh? Oh, he it, wants it's, it. It's flag, it's flag football? Flag football. Yeah, okay. Yeah, see, a lot of people can mitigate things when it comes to flag football. You take away some of what I do when it comes to flag football because – 
It's a sport where you're not you take away you take away football. You you you're playing football, but you're not playing football. Right. And uh, and so it's basically, what we do in the turkey bowl. That's exactly what this league kind of is, but a little more strategic. Well, are we allowed to see the thing about what we do in our league is we're we're allowed to actually push, shove things like oh, that. Oh no, pinnacles pussy ball. My opinion. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I played flag football for intramurals, and you're, you're talking about some of the things I used to do as a defensive back that made me as good as I am weren't allowed in flag football. You know, right. um, I'm not the type of person to hold you, but I got to find you. So right. I got to touch you. And if you touch anybody, it's a flag. Right. So um, I, I'd love to play flag football. Um, uh, I play it with those guys against yeah, those guys. We, 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 we could probably put a nice team together. I don't. I don't doubt it. It's just a matter of that all of us are uh, in our upper thirties, middle no nope, early thirties. Upper. I need a new co-host because I am not in my upper thirties. What the hell is this guy talking well, about? Well, thirty-three. I'm just thinking about myself right. personally. Um, I mean, we could. We, we are in our thirties, is what I should have said. It and we all more. have so much to do that we can't even really get to the football field. Uh, athletically, I don't doubt that we could put a team together that would definitely compete. It's our schedules that suck. Right. So, um, if, yeah, if we being could, an adult sucks. It really does. You know? It really does. Being married is wonderful, but being an adult married adult, like yeah. I mean, being married as an adult. Right. Because it's not just you anymore. you got your significant other and their family you got to think about. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Um, but you know, I think it would be fun. Um, I would, you know, not to play against them just for grins and giggles, but the amount of guys that they have that are quality players and the amount of guys that we have that are quality players, it would just make sense to have two teams in that league. Um, sometimes if it's nice, they have you play outside there, which is kind of cool. And yeah. other times when it's crappy outside, they have you go inside. Um, but I like playing outside more because, you know, the deep ball comes into play more and you can actually throw it and not hit something outside, <laughs> you know, like I can throw a bomb and yeah. feel good about it. Yeah. So, but anyways, I want to move on and talk a little bit of WWE because I, I might have said a couple of controversial things last week, um, and I'm just having a tough time with it, and I, you know, I think you and I are on the opposite sides of this, but before we talk about Crown Jewel, uh, we're not going to break it down match by match, but I was kind of following what you had to stay on Twitter and keeping up with, uh, you know, WWE.com. It looks like the women did a fantastic job in their very own pay-per-view last night. Man, the, those women actually proved that they deserve... Uh, they deserve more than they're getting. They deserve their own show. Actually, I I, I will go as far as to say as they, just like two hundred five live, they deserve their own show. Was there was the wrestling as good as the men? You know what? Arguably, you know what? I can say more than often than not. Yeah, there was some botches, definite botches, um, de- definite points where you raise your eyebrows, but. I'm telling you, you do that a lot with the guys anyways. It is now. There's some moments with the guys that you you raise your eyebrows as far as the wrestling goes. But I'm gonna tell you, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, if if from what I remember from the show, which I'm not saying I don't remember it because it just happened, right. but from what I'm thinking about is, it was a definite, it was a good pay per view, and I and I will go as far as to say one of the best of the year. I will tell you that right now, especially Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Whoo woo. Those girls had a last man, I apologize, a last woman standing match. They turned that thing into a tables, ladders, and chairs match by accident. Wow. And Charlotte took all the bumps pretty much in the match, and you would have thought they killed that girl. And she she went through two tables. She got slammed on the ladder. She took multiple candlestick hits. She took multiple chair hits. Becky Lynch, couple of same things. I mean, they were not afraid to steal the show last night, and 
I'm telling you, I was absolutely 100% blown away by those women. I was I was into it more than I've been into most pay-per-views this year. That's not going to lie. That's awesome. Couldn't look away. Could not look away. I Normally, when I'm watching pay-per-views, I'm on my phone. I'm even tweeting sometimes, not paying attention. You saw that I only gave one, like, one or two tweets last night because I was literally watching. Right. Uh, and I couldn't... I. I couldn't take my eyes off, and it wasn't just because there was women out there because they're all beautiful. Um, but uh, but they was, don't dress them like they used to with everything almost hanging out. They're they look respectively beautiful in a lot of the things that they do wear. Sure, like I used to have the biggest crush on Lita, and I was so excited that she was coming back. But she wore something that was sexy and respectable last night. I mean, yeah, she's forty something years old now, but even Mickey James, she's not coming out with everything hanging out like they used to. Or like you have Terry Reynolds or Deborah wearing almost nothing. They are they are classy, classy, beautiful, and sexy right. out there. Right, and, and they they're actually athletes. I just Kari Zayn, uh, she 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 impressed me. Uh, you know, uh, I forget her opponent. Uh, she impressed me. I had her brutality. Uh, the the May Young Classic match was was every bit good storytelling as it needed to be. Uh, Ronda Rousey, Nikki Bella, that that match was was great. I was a little worried at what what happened uh, with Ronda Rousey because she's not as polished, but she's getting better and doing more and more things every time she shows up in a match. Last night we even got a top rope uh, uh, attempt out of her, so I literally was blown away by by it. So I, I think that pay per view went over well, and I think that they made it so that we could do it again. They should do it, and again. they should do it again. They absolutely should do it again. So let's talk about Crown Jewel. You know, I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, we, we know what happened with the reporter and that it's an awful thing that happened over there and the cover-up or whatever is being, you know, reported out there. Um, the fact that, you know, the Saudis are paying as much money as they are to WWE, but WWE is a publicly traded company. Um, I said if they, can, if they go through with this, I'm going to have a tough time watching the product going forward just based off of, you know, if... if you know, that were to happen over here and we were to cover it up, you know, I'd be hesitant to watch things over here. Um, but you have a lot of your top stars, John Cena, Daniel Bryan, basically saying we're not comfortable going there. In fact, we're not going there because of everything that's going on. I need to feel safe. Um, is this just because the Saudis have paid so much money? Is it because they put so much promotion into this? Why is Vince so hell-bent on making this show happen? You know, because and, and Vince is a promoter. That's that's what he the WWE is. That's what Vince McMahon is and will always be. He is big on on uh, on business and promoting his business. And this is bad publicity if you don't show up, especially after all the money they paid. I get it; it makes a statement, but WWE is not about political statements. They've only made one political statement ever in the whole entire thing, and it was basically showing up after nine eleven. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Vince McMahon, through all these years, has never taken a side politically. Uh, never taken a side, essentially. All uh, they did was encourage people to go vote back in the day, which I I think. That well, was yeah, sweet. I mean that, but that's still not even taking a side. It's just no, go exec, vote. Do yeah, your, exercise your right. right to vote because it's your right. Uh, but at what part does your moral compass come in and say, you know what, we're publicly traded now. We have shareholders. We have people who we have to be accountable to that buy our stock. This is a terrible look. Not not at all. Because it's money. Money, yeah, that's great, but it's. The PR backlash from this is going to be awful. I don't think so. I I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree more because it's about money. You're a publicly traded company, like you said. You know, Apple. Yeah, but at some point, shareholders look at you and say, 
It's not about money at that point because the Saudis, the money that they're making isn't going into the shareholder's pocket. They're shelling out those that money to specifically pay the likes of Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kane, Undertaker, Rock, all these other big names, Cena. They're not, WWE isn't making money from the Saudis for that. They are paying these guys to perform. Right, but they're, they're so the that's ticket. where the publicly that's where the relations nightmare comes into play because the shareholders aren't getting jack squat of this money. It is the performers that are coming over that are going to make this money. Yeah, the ticket sales though for this are are what the shareholders are going to get, and the pay per view sales that they're you know that are out there for people who don't have the WWE network currently are what's what the shareholders do get, and you've been promoting this for weeks and weeks and weeks and. To have this come out like it did, it's it's a terrible thing that came out, but it's literally like way too 11th hour for Vince McMahon to pull out, and it would just look horrible. I mean, he fired wrestlers for not showing up in the 11th hour. Like, everyone wonders what happened to the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior got fired twice because he just doesn't show, he wasn't showing up to events that he was promoted to be at. And that's what Vince McMahon despises. I don't think he's ever been indifferent about that. He has been 100%. If I, if I say we're going to be there, I, if I say you're going to be there, you better be there or we have a problem. And Vince McMahon has literally said, we're going to be there in Saudi Arabia, so we're going to be there. And, if, and you know, if you want to take a stand, that's fine. But look who took a stand. Sami Zayn took a stand. It hasn't been back since. Well, Sami Zayn also had surgery, too. All, but he still hasn't been back. They haven't even mentioned the guy on TV. And he's out there. I see his Twitter account. He's out there doing stuff. So he's he's healthy enough to at least start training or be part of the show. I mean, something. They haven't asked him to be back. So, you know, I don't know if he's fired. I don't know if they put him on a hiatus. But he decided not to go to the other Saudi Arabia event because they didn't want women there. And he tried to take a stand against that. And, you know, it... Vince McMahon isn't about your political statements. You can give a crap. He wants to put a product out there, and that's it. That's all he's worried about. Right, but I guess <laughs> at the end of the day, for me, it's not all about money, and I think that's where I have the biggest problem is, you know, they're paying all... The, it's blood money that they're going over there and making, and I just... I find it hard to believe that somebody who is as deep in their faith like Shawn Michaels is going to be able to comfortably take this 4 to $6 million he's getting to go over there. Like, I don't understand it. Yeah. Doesn't that go against everything the man believes in? It does, but... It's for it's for four to six million dollars, uh, you know. Yeah, but for a guy who won't even say suck it or really do crotch chops or say anything controversial, showing up there to wrestle is as controversial as hundred crotch chops. I think showing up is the only controversial thing ever for them. They're gonna put on the show that they're gonna put on because it's not. While Saudi Arabia's government, the powers that be, cover this up, it's not the fans' fault. It's not the whole and that's the other fault. part where I come out. Yeah, you know, even Ronda Rousey kind of made a point. You know, it's not these kids' fault that this happened. Exactly. But, you know, you're gonna punish the whole. You're gonna punish the whole country for something the leaders did. You know, that's that's what that's what their country's done to us. Well, not their country. I apologize. I would be wrong on that. That's what others alike have done to us. Where they're punishing us for our leaders. You know, September 11th happened because of our leaders. You know. A bunch of old men talking and a bunch of young men dying is is what was going on. And I don't feel that the kids should suffer because of the regime. Do I think we shouldn't do no more, more business with Saudi Arabia until they get their act together? I, I agree to that. But there's a bunch of people in this country that deserve better. And this is something that can be 
essentially a beacon of hope with wrestling instead of the the the, the just horrific story that came out. So my I, biggest fear is that they go there and something happens to one of the performers, and then and then what? I I don't think that would happen though. I think that it'd be one of the more secure events. But the guy was in a consulate. That should be the most secure place of them all, and he was dismembered. Anyways, I, I don't want to talk about. It. I get it, but my biggest fear, like I said, is something happens over there that causes more than just Vince McMahon to have to step up and say something, and that's just more pie in the face. I don't think they want to commit an act of war against the WWE. I feel like you do something to a WWE wrestler or anything, such as an American, and we, we find out about it, you might as well consider your your country a lake at that point. So, I don't think they really want to do that. Well, let's hope for the best. And before I go any further, too, we should have done this at the outset. Thoughts and prayers to Roman Reigns and his family. Um, leukemia is not something you'd wish on anybody. I'm not a big fan of how they book him or maybe his promos, but at the end of the day, he's a father and he's a husband and uh, he's a human being. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best in his fight against this terrible disease. I, uh, I have to admit that I almost cried. I, I had a couple tears coming down when, when he came out because uh, uh, I wasn't expecting that at all. I wasn't expecting him to come out and make an announcement like that. I came up to, to, to expect something out of him as such of another boring uh, rigmarole that he always does. Right. And for him to be as honest and as forthcoming as he was about it, it was just so sad to me. Right. It like blew my it blew my mind that this could be happening to him and it also made me think that when he comes back he should be that guy from now on that yeah. guy that stood in front of us and just spoke from the heart and and everything like that because it was the most genuine I had heard him speak since he's been in the WWE right. and it was sad that it was that announcement that he had to make and whew man I get chills thinking about it because I just couldn't believe that was the announcement he was going to make. Because somebody that big, that tall, that muscular, I mean, it can get anybody. Yeah. It, it can get, it truly can get and, anybody. And for me, I was just so glad the way everybody did what they had to do to show that they were supporting him and that they felt, ah, man, it, I, when I really started to, to lose the, the control on the tears was when Seth Rollins came out. and. Yeah. His music hit, and he was already just bawling. I guess I, they said Dean and Seth had no idea he was that he was sick. Yeah. And that they basically said, when he starts walking up the ramp, that's when you guys go out, and you'll find out what the ramp Nobody knew backstage other than, like, Vince. Yeah. And, you know, nobody else knew that that's what he was going out to say. That's so crazy that they didn't, they didn't tell anybody. But uh, um, it also brings, you know, more to it. You know, no one gets. And I to, thought Heyman's pr promo was amazing. It he, was. He said what he had to say to, to pump the guy up and to wish him well, but then he was still able to be that a hole Brock Lesnar advocate, but in a way that was res respectful and still part of the show, but still got the message across that yeah, this is a show, and yeah, this is one of our one of our brothers, but you know, we still got a job. To do. And and I and to, to to many people's contrary beliefs. The fact that uh, Dean Ambrose turned on Seth Rollins was booked perfectly because people were like, not tonight. Why tonight? And I'm like, why not tonight? Why not tonight? Yeah. It gets you even more venom for Dean uh, at this point. Right. There, there's also on the flip side, <clears throat> for those of you out there that said this horrible thing, you may not have seen it, but I've seen it. And, and instead of even engaging them, because I, I'm a firm believer that you really shouldn't engage trolls because you give them a voice. Right. 
there was multiple people on there that I had to block when I'm looking up this stuff that basically said that they made Roman Reigns do this so that they could finally get him over. And I thought that was the most horrible no. thing I've Hell ever heard no. in my entire life. And I'm so sad that we're at this point that people would believe someone would announce they have cancer just to be a face in the WWE. That's yeah. ridiculous. Vince McMahon may be a lot of things that I don't agree with, but that's not of a level I don't even think he would stoop to. I, I don't think I don't think Roman Reigns would stoop to that level. Hell I don't no. think there's a human being on this planet that would stoop to that yeah, level. I would walk away from everything before I, I, do anything I, I, like I that. just don't think that it's something that you take lightly and to, to announce it to everybody that you have that and then to be a fraud, you, you can't come back to me. No. You, you, you're a terrible human being. So for people to even suggest they would do this to get him over, I, I just don't know what type of world we live in. That's, that, that, that's something that came to someone's head. Get off Twitter. Go back in your mom's basement. Get on the computer. Fill out some job applications and do something with your life. Stop using my tax dollars as your welfare check. Coming up with these stupid angles in your mind that only exist in your mind. Yeah, I, I just, I was shocked. And even one of my friends had texted me that too. Yeah, I said, man, I would have never expected you to say anything Hell like that. Hell no. So, but, you uh, know what? Twitter trolls, you just made the list. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of lists. Speaking of lists, yeah, we got a, I got a few additions tonight. We're going to more than double the size of this thing. So to recap, our uh, the TK and J show jackass list, we have Kyrie Irving as the president, Isaiah Crowell as the vice president, Aaron Goldhammer, JBL, and LeVar Ball as normal members. I put LeVar Ball in there last week just because of the big baller brand shoe thing. I'm sure you've is, okay is that still going? Apparently, they came out with an economy shoe or something to that effect that isn't as expensive. And oh, I like just, a Starberry? I went nuts. I, I Go back and listen. Go. Like like a Starberry, though? <laughs> something like, like okay. yeah. Right. All right. All right. So, uh, Jade's got a couple of people. I'll, I have a, I have more than a couple, so I'm going to go ahead and give my a few of mine. Um... I am putting Hiram in Cleveland on the jackass list, and he's at, I'm not even going to tell you his, his Twitter handle because it's not worth it, but, you know, when you go on regular radio stations here in Cleveland, hosts cannot wait to get you off the air. In fact, I've heard them go to commercial and say Hiram in Cleveland's on hold along with other people, and it's funny, Hiram in Cleveland never, ever, ever gets to get on the air because your takes are old, they're stale, they're uninformed, and they're garbage. You don't even have the guts to do your own podcast, and you have a guy busting his ass like Jack McCurry going out there doing two different podcasts and being successful enough to get advertising dollars for his website that he's worked his ass off for to say that you would come out and call out his BS? Come on, Hiram. I didn't think, you were be- I didn't think you'd stoop to that level, but for somebody who said they were getting off Twitter, get off Twitter, jackass. <laughs> and then uh, Mike Greenberg. I hate to do this to Greeny, but... If you talk about our coach getting fired and then saying we should trade our franchise quarterback just so we don't ruin him, that's an automatic spot on the list. And then Tony Oberstar, friend of show, well, kind of friend of show, telling me that uh, I shouldn't get hooked. Uh, What was his exact tweet to me? He said, stop being triggered. Come on, Tony. And he even said, I just made the list with a gif of Jericho. Yes, Tony, you are a jackass. What triggered you? Well, Greenberg's tweet. Gotcha. He said, okay. what did he say? Baker Mayfield's agent should demand a trade. That kid has some magic, and they're going to ruin him. For the good of the sport, the hashtag Brown should let him go. And I go, stop it, Mike, because Darnold's just lighting it up in New York. Fair enough. So, but let me but let me ask you, was his tweet that off-color? 
For for Greeny, yes, I expect more out of Mike Greenberg. <laughs> He's not a troll. Okay, that's very troll. Well, it, it just goes back to my point that I made earlier that Baker Mayfield is a legit player. The thing about it is, is can he be a legit player with the Browns if he doesn't have the proper management? So we have that now that the jackasses are gone. So let's just go ahead and add it. Hugh Jackson, three thirty-six and one jackass. Fine. Todd Haley, jackass for basically running a terrible offense. I'll throw him on there. That's fine. You just made the list. <laughs> uh, at at Chris Jericho or I am Jericho. Yes, we just stole that. They just made the list. Okay. Um, I don't. I, I personally, I don't think I don't think Greeny's that far off. I don't. I think he said it wrong. I don't think he's that far off. The reason why I don't think he's that far off. You're treading list adding waters at this point. I'm my just friend. saying. You are treading that list. You better be careful with that I'm just statement. saying that he basically said it wrong, but if we don't take care of Baker Mayfield, we could ruin him. Well, I don't think there's a chance that we could ruin Baker Mayfield because I feel like we said earlier... He's too mentally tough for that. He's too mentally tough, and he'll probably just ask for a trade or his immediate release when his time comes. So right. that's fine. Um, I get it, but again, you know... I don't think he's that far off. I don't know if telling you not to be triggered is the right thing to do. That's basically saying to a female, you know, calm down when you're in an argument. You might as well just go ahead and hang yourself at that point. Right. So I get you. I get it. When you're when we're talking about your sports, we we we'll let you. And basically... he's just doing that to troll me. That's yeah, totally sure. a troll comment from him, based off sure. some of the things we've talked about in the past. You had one, and I asked you why, and I never got a response. You know why? Because I didn't want to ruin anything. Oh, and, that, and that's fine. So, you've got some people you'd like to add. Go ahead. Let's. Uh, well, I only have one. I only have one. I have one. And, and everybody should and will agree with me. And I, I usually stayed away from this guy. I let him do his thing. But the time has come where I'm finally going to call this, call this man a spade is a spade. And it's Kevin Durant, man. It is freaking Kevin Durant, and I'll tell you why. I happened to be flipping through the channels, and I got to NBA TV, and I said, oh, man, the Warriors are beating the pants off the Wizards. What is going on? Next thing another thing, I see Kevin Durant walking over to the sideline, and I'm reading his lips. Kevin Durant is literally asked to being this, to, to asking Steve Kerr to sub him out because literally the Wizards are weak. That's literally what he was saying. I do not want to play this week A team. That's why he wanted to be subbed out and didn't want to play the rest of the game because they were they were just stomping him. And you I talk said, about being weak. You couldn't finish him up off three one, and then you joined him. Talk about the weakest sports mentality in the history of sports. So so I said to myself, and I mean my wife listened to me go on a two minute rant. So I'll shorten what I said. I said <laughs> literally, this is why I don't like this B word. And I literally was I literally said I don't like this B A N word. I, this is that's what I said literally because how are you gonna call anybody else weak when you literally went from a team that eliminated you after you up three one to a team that goes seventy three and nine and then call yourself a champion because you went to this team? I mean literally. It's it's literally like jumping on Superman's cape and saying you won the battle after Superman punched everybody out. What it makes no sense to me. So for him to to, to even say that you're on a team that is literally unstoppable and you're playing the Wizards 
It's like, dude, you, you punched the baby in the face and you were happy about it. Like, what right. the heck? Like, I was so mad at Kevin Durant. I was just like, this dude is trash. He's literally trash to me. And this is why he makes a jackass list. For that comment alone. Yes. Basically, sub me out because this week 18. Unbelievable. I'm going to add the two worst owners in sports right now. I'm adding Mr. 97 and 221 without LeBron James. Dan, take your quick and loans up to Detroit and own the Tigers Gilbert. And I'm going to put Jimmy Haslam can't stay out of the spotlight because I think I am the face of the franchise when you don't know anything. You are a part owner of the Steelers who obviously learned nothing from their culture, from their winning ways as much as I hate them. Three head coaches in the last 35 years speaks to the volume of their success. Jimmy Haslam, Dan Gilbert, welcome to the jackass list. And you each have your own wing. No, they get their own sweets. They get motorcades. They get everything. I, I just We deserve better here at Cleveland than those two. We really do. And until they those two go, this is what we're going to get season in, season out. Right. Uh, hopefully, you know, one of them turn around eventually. But we're not going to see another good player in the Cavaliers. I, I, I guarantee it. Unless they come out of Akron or they come out of wherever in Ohio, we're not going to see another player like LeBron James ever again. No. And the Browns, they're probably our best bet to be – the second best team in Cleveland because the, the the Indians will be the best team for, for here for for the foreseeable. Jimmy Haslam has the best chance to turn it around because he finally put a football guy in charge of things. It's true. Not your lawyer of your analytics people. It's going to be another long drought. So let's uh, let's recap. We have Kyrie Irving as the president, Isaiah Crowell, uh, Aaron Goldhammer, John Bradshaw Layfield, Lavar Ball, and newcomers Dan Gilbert, Kevin Durant, Hugh Jackson. Hiram in Cleveland, who will never come off, Tony Oberstar, Mike Greenberg, Jimmy Haslam, and Todd Haley. I love it, man. The list is growing. And just on I a mean, day like today, I it mean, just makes me feel good. I need I need Kevin Durant to be moved on up. I, I'm voting for at least at least second in command. Really? At least. So you want over him? Isaiah Crowell? Isaiah Correll is just an idiot. He should be like a court jester or something like that. All right, that's fine. So Kyrie Irving's the president. Kevin Durant's the vice president. I'm I, all in favor. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, all right, good enough for me. But that I mean, the, the list is growing. Do you have any uh, any uh, anyone you'd like to add out there? And Hiram, you are welcome to come on the show. You find us on the Anchor app, and you can call out my BS because I will put you in your place so fast that you will never listen to and or call sports talk radio again. Nobody likes you. Your takes are old. Just get off Twitter, like you've said, and go away. I'm a firm believer that you give everybody the floor. Um, one thing I can't stand is when Adam the Bull just steamrolls a caller. I hate it. They called in for a reason to give their opinion, and it's all opinions. I, I'm, I really don't believe that opinions can be wrong. Can they be stupid? Yes, but they can't They can't be wrong because they're just opinions. Right. So, well, Like on, uh, on RBS, speaking of that. You got Stan, it's a legendary caller. Sometimes he drops some questionable language that might get him banned for a time. But quite honestly, I'm convinced that when he talks to Rizzo for a few minutes, this might be the only interaction he has. I don't know if he has family. From the uh-huh. sounds of it, he doesn't. So the fact that Hammer's like, oh, we got to go talk. Why do we talk to Stan? Blah, blah, blah. Dude, you're in a you're in an area where your listeners are your, are your gold. They're your lifeblood. If you don't have them, you don't have anything. So if that is the... The best couple of minutes that that guy has for a week, even if he's got some maybe some tykes that takes him a while to get to, you give him five minutes. Who cares? In the grand scheme of your show, 
It doesn't matter. And it's not like Stan calls every day. He calls maybe once every 10 to 14 days. Give him that time because that's the only interaction he's going to have. That's why you're on this list because your microphone isn't as big as everybody's and your microphone isn't as big as what you think you have in your pants. <laughs> your wife's baby is probably... I shouldn't... Never mind. I'll stop there. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, you was about to go somewhere. I just... To, I, just I, was, I almost went to the mailman, Yeah, man. I was going to have to fight someone that... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Do you really think Aaron Goldhammer's going to fight me? Nah. Child, please. I watched might. that man throw a football. He might. No. Nah. <laughs> he might slap me. <laughs> slap me like a bee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, anyways, yeah. I'm not bagging on Goldhammer anymore. All right. So, good luck on your surgery next week. I would have to say I'll be doing this show by myself or with, uh, with one of our buddies, and that's okay. But if you're up for it, I will be at your house after work. Yeah, I'll try to do the best I can. Um, and, uh, I'm going to try to hang in there and see, see how I feel. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't make any promises, unfortunately. But uh, good luck. this will be some of the last of the times I'm missing. I, I promise you that. It's all right. I'm fighting through it right now. I got a sinus headache that's out of this world. And, and, and I just can't wait for this to all be all said and done. So That's all right. It'll be done soon, and you'll be uh, you'll feel great. You won't be congested anymore. You'll be able to breathe, Yeah. Uh, and that'll be great. Uh, so we'll uh, next week we'll definitely talk about uh, week one of the uh, Greg Williams era here in Cleveland. We'll see uh, how our Browns fare against the uh, very potent offense of the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, we'll see if any adjustments on offense have been made. Um, we'll see what else is going on in the world of sports, too. Right now, my biggest thing uh, is the Browns. World Series is over, so there's no more baseball. I'm still on my NBA sabbatical. Um, a lot of movies coming out that maybe we can talk about next week that we need to go to. Uh, TK and J go to the movies. That'll be a nice segment to do. We need to go check some of that stuff out. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter, at J-A-E underscore TK. Hit us up on the Anchor app, at uh, TK underscore J there. Uh, you can also email us, tkandjshow at yahoo.com. Uh, we're very active on Twitter. Anytime somebody reaches out to us, one of the two of us usually gets out to it, gets back to it pretty quickly. Uh, so reach out to us. We'd love to, uh, to have you on uh, and talk with you. Or leave us a voicemail on that Anchor app. And if you want to come on and, and call out any BS you think we have, the, the floor is open. Especially if Jay's not going to be here next week, come on out. Yeah, you don't want none of me, though. I'll let you know. I, I'll, I'll wake Jay's ass up if I need him. <laughs> the thing about it is, is it, what people don't understand about me is I've been watching a subpar Michigan team in the state of Ohio for over 10 years, and I've heard it all, and I still don't back down, to, even though I know Michigan has been the these subpar team in Ohio State. Still won't back down. I still tell you about yourself, and, and I'll still go on and be happy. <laughs> and my, my team will still lose to Ohio State, and I will still look you in the face and tell you your team is terrible. That's how I roll. So you you don't want none of this. And and you'll have facts that back it up too. So <laughs> that's true. All right, guys, have a great week. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Um, and if I had an Alleluia, I would play you an Alleluia. But Hallelujah, Hugh Jackson is gone. Mister three thirty six and one gone. Our inept offensive coordinator is gone. Our new franchise quarterback will flourish. Brighter days are ahead, guys. Just stay patient. I know it's been a long 20 years, but I finally think with Dorsey at the helm, we're going to be good to go. We'll see you guys next week. See you later.